You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Well, I want to welcome you back to Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. This is Jacob Hawk, the host of this podcast and young adults and singles minister here at the Preston Crest Church Christ in North Dallas. We just completed a series over restoration a couple weeks ago, and so it's time to begin a new series. And I'm looking forward to this new series with my good friend, Keith Harris, who is the preaching minister at the Louisville Church of Christ, just a little bit north of us. Keith, we are glad to have you with us today. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to this series. I think it's going to be uh, very beneficial for me, at least, uh, and I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, you bet. We're going to spend some time talking about uh, the pastoral epistles. For those who are not aware what the pastoral epistles are, those are the three books in the New Testament that are more commonly known as 1st and 2nd Timothy and the book of Titus. These three books were written to uh, two different young preachers. Timothy received two letters. Titus received one from the famous Apostle Paul. Timothy would be the minister for the church in Ephesus. Titus would be the minister for the church on the island of Crete. And Paul, before he dies, kind of as a mentor, is encouraging these two young preachers in their new work. And so we thought, as two young preachers, it would be fun to talk through these three books, First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus. And so we're going to take our time uh, going through these letters, and we're glad that you're going to be joining us for this conversation. Keith, this is not in the script, but anything you want to say before we get started about First, Second Timothy and Titus I did not mention? Well, I just think that uh, there's there's so much uh, depth in what is said that a lot of times we um, we kind of read over uh, some of the familiar words that Paul wrote in these three letters. Um, just because they are so familiar to us, we we don't really stop and think about the background and what's actually going on and why he wrote these and the impact that it had, no doubt, on Timothy and then Titus as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a good way to good way to look at it. These three letters obviously um originally for two different preachers, but the material in the letters are so applicable for all Christians and all churches. So we'll just get going right away here. I'm going to begin by reading 1 Timothy chapter 1, the first 11 verses. 
Paul writes, as an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. That is pretty wordy, uh, Keith, but let's go back to the beginning. Paul talks a little bit about his history And he says that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of our God. I think that's interesting terminology, Keith. Um, What is Paul talking about there? When was the command for Paul to be an apostle? Well, it seems as though um, what Paul might be referring to here would be when he was making his way to Damascus um, in hopes of arresting those that were professing Christ. Um, and when when Christ um, made his presence known on that road, uh, I'm convinced that Paul understood exactly what was happening and who it was that was seeking him out. Mm-hmm. And if you recall, uh, there out of uh, Acts chapter 9, you see uh, that experience that Paul has, and those that were with him experienced the same thing, though they didn't hear the voice necessarily. They, they experienced uh, something you know, dramatic, but following that, when uh, Jesus um, is, uh, is seeking Paul, Saul, out, um, the message comes that he is going to be uh, the instrument of Christ and that there would be a lot of things that he would have to suffer um, mm-hmm. for the faith. Mm-hmm. And certainly that, to me, would would lend itself toward a, the, the calling that he received from Christ to be an apostle. And certainly we know through the other writings of Paul that he had a great deal of, uh, of difficulty throughout his ministry, throughout the rest of his life. Um, so, you know, whether it, whether it was the call immediately there in the days subsequent to him uh, traveling to Damascus or uh, those days following when he received the message from Jesus, as he writes in Galatians, 
um, at, at some point during that early part of his ministry or his becoming a Christian, I'm convinced that that's when Paul received this command of God to be an apostle. Right, right. I think you're dead on. And, um, yeah, he's kind of without excuse. You have that experience on the road to Damascus where you lose your sight, you drop down to your knees, you hear the voice of God, you follow the instructions, go back into the city to Straight Street and meet a man named Ananias who's going to heal your sight. Everything happens exactly the way that God said it would. Yeah, I think that would get get my attention too. Um, and obviously we have other stories in the Bible, not of the same exact script, but the same caliber of Jonah not wanting to go to Nineveh, and God kind of taught him that lesson through a what I like to call a three-day all-expense-paid-for vacation in a floating <laughs> hotel. Um, yeah, that would get your attention. I think uh, it would. Yeah. I think it would. Going back to Ananias there in Acts 9, I mean, it's it's that exchange with uh, with the Lord where Ananias is, is thinking, you know, look, I've heard about this guy named Saul, and I'm not so sure that I want to go and, and uh, present myself to him. I've heard about the things that he's been doing, and and uh, and Jesus uh, makes the statement to Ananias in verse 15, you know, go, because this mm-hmm. man is my, and I love this, my chosen instrument. Right, right. Very much for the Gentiles, the kings, before the people of Israel. So Paul is his chosen instrument, and again, I think that has to do with this command of God that that Paul is that individual that could go in and with authority proclaim salvation through Jesus, which is essentially what he does after uh, Ananias goes to him um, and and touches him and the, the scales fall off of his eyes. And mm-hmm. the text tells us that he immediately goes to the synagogues and begins uh, teaching that Jesus is the Christ, but not just teaching. It's uh, in verse 22, he says that, Luke says that Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews that were living in Damascus by proving mm-hmm. that Jesus is the Christ. Right. And so again, very much as you said, like like the like the Jonah figure, who uh, you know, as he is called to go, um, he receives this um, this message from Jesus, and we we don't have it all recorded for us, unfortunately, but. Um, we know that at some point he is convinced and is able then to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And so because he is the chosen instrument of Jesus, uh, I think at, at that point, um, that's where this command of God comes in when he's writing to Timothy. Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent, not, Keith. Not a choice that he made per se, uh, though it is because he followed uh, what the Lord said but he was the chosen instrument, and it was by the command of God that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, obviously, he could have been disobedient, but the chances, to borrow today's terminology, the chances of something like that happening and him hearing, you're my chosen instrument, and then him saying, I think I'll be an accountant or go sell insurance, is highly unlikely after experiencing such an event. Um, Keith, I put in the question here, uh, and maybe we're splitting hairs by the meaning of these words, but did you ever feel commanded, or maybe the more popular term is called, did you ever feel this divine urgency 
to be a minister, or was it something that you kind of decided on your own? You know, I, I think there was a point um, that I felt this is what I need to do, or this is what I ought to do. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily describe it as, as though I were commanded to or I felt called to in the sense that he was calling out to me, though mm-hmm. he may have been. But at the time, I was um, working for one of our Christian colleges as a uh, an admissions representative and was traveling uh, every Sunday to congregations speaking to um, youth groups and uh juniors and seniors um, and trying to convince them they needed to to come to uh, the college that I was representing. And I think through that, and, and really at that point even, uh, when I was working for the college, even at that point in, in, my, um, in my mind, I was heading toward education. Um, my father was an educator and that, that just, I, I enjoyed you know, kind of watching him uh, in in his role. My father also served and still serves as an elder in the church, and so very much a leadership type position is what I was looking at doing. You know, uh, hoping eventually to get into administration within the education system. Mm-hmm. Those Sunday nights of of traveling around from congregation to congregation and, and speaking to young people and. Um, you know, put, you know, putting together lessons to present to them in their Bible classes. Um, there was a there was a point at which I, I started thinking, you know, this feels right. You know, this feels like what I ought to be doing. And it was at that point that um, that that I began searching out. You know, okay, how do I achieve that? How do I get to that point? And and what is it that I need to do in life? Um, to, to transition in the focus that I had at that point toward ministry. And so um, so I went ahead and um, pursued that. Right. And that's, that's the, I guess, my experience, you know. And so I wouldn't necessarily say it was a calling, though it may have been just simply by virtue of, you know, the, the experiences that I was having at that time that led me there. So, so uh, remind us all, which college were you a recruiter for? It was Crowley's Ridge College. Are they still in business? <laughs> you know, <laughs> despite my uh, challenges as an admissions representative, <laughs> they are thriving. They are thriving. Okay, now. all right. I'm Just think. Make... Say they're no longer a, a junior college. They are now a four-year uh, institution, and uh, and so uh, things are going well for them. That's in the northeast corner of Arkansas. Okay, uh, Crowley's Ridge College. Yeah, a good good friend of mine who is an administrator of a university who will remain nameless, um, but while he was working on his doctorate, he preached for a church, and successfully while he was finishing his doctorate, that church closed its doors. So that's a great thing um, to, to add to your resume. So I'm glad Crowley's Ridge is still still around despite your best efforts, Keith. That's right. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this idea of – we've both heard this, and this was not a trick question to you. You handled it well. Um, are we called to go into ministry? It really de- depends on how you're defining that word calling. Did I hear a voice from heaven? Um, no. Did I lose my eyesight? Certainly not. And I've never been to Damascus, so I certainly wasn't on that road. But uh, there is a burden, I think, God places on your heart. 
and people in your life who encourage you or nudge you in that direction, see potential in you. And I, I guess that's a good reminder for ministers listening to this. You know, if you don't have a passion for ministry or leading churches, you're not any less Christian or any less holy, but you probably do need to consider doing something else um, because this is not a not just a day job. This is this is a life. And uh, it needs to be a burden in your heart to do this. And uh, Paul felt that for reasons you and I have not felt, but I think we feel them uh, for different reasons. And if you feel like this is what God wants you to do with your life, I think your work is definitely more effective and certainly more of more of a joy. Mm. Uh, he says in verse 3, as he kind of begins the letter, and Keith, I did a little word study before we started here. He says, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. So be a local work preacher. Don't travel around like I am. You know, he's been on missionary journeys with Paul before, but now he's telling him, stay put. Mm. I urged you to stay in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. That word, therefore, urge, is the same word that Paul uses in Romans 12 when he records, I urge you to become a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So we know this is something that is very important to Paul. This is not a weak word. This is a dynamic plea Uh Timothy, I don't want you just to stay in one place, but while you're in one place, you have a job, and a big part of Timothy being in Ephesus was to command certain men not to teach any more false doctrines or focus on these endless genealogies. So the second question we have today is, what kind of false doctrines were being taught, and what are endless genealogies? Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. One that I'm not sure we could know definitely the answer, but I think we can know somewhat of the answer um, based on some other passages that we see and the other experiences that Paul had. Um, again, back in Acts, it's uh, Acts chapter 20 where we see Paul um, in Ephesus, and, and he is about to depart. Um, and Luke shares with us that experience that he had, and through uh, a majority of chapter uh, 20, we see Paul addressing or having this farewell speech, as it were, to the elders that are there in Ephesus. Mm-hmm. And, and just kind of setting up this, I, th- I think what he's saying here, the, the, the background behind him urging Timothy to stay there, um, Paul understood very clearly that after he departed, there, there were going to be some things that would arise that were going to challenge the faith of the people there within that uh, church family in Ephesus. And uh, I want to begin reading in Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Acts 20, rather, verse 25. Acts 20, verse 25 and following from there. Uh, Paul says to them, Now I know that none of you um, uh, among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom 
will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Notice this, verses 28 and 29. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And then verse 29 is key. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Mm-hmm. So be on your guard, he says in verse 31. Be mm-hmm. on your guard. And so that I, I think that's kind of in the background of what he's writing here to Timothy is that Paul understood very clearly that people were going to rise up and begin saying things that would seek to draw people after them rather than uh, continuing with the truth that had been proclaimed by Paul. Um, now, these myths and endless genealogies, the false doctrines that he references there, uh, I'm convinced are some of those Judaizers who were coming around behind Paul mm-hmm. and, and trying to uh, trying to convince people that the old law was still in effect. The old law was the way um, that you ought to go and that the things Paul had taught were not accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it not only in Ephesus, but we see it in the church in Galatia as well, and that prompts Paul writing um, those opening words to, to that church as he um, lets them know how surprised he is that they've turned away to another gospel, which is not really a gospel at all. Um, and and he makes that statement twice, that if anyone uh, teaches or preaches anything other than that which has been taught, um, then let him be accursed. Right. And so the same experience is happening here in Ephesus, and Timothy is given that charge uh, so that the truth will continue to be proclaimed. And, and I think that goes all the way back up to verse 1, where Paul is, is um, giving some, I guess, some of his own authority to Timothy through this letter. Paul identifying himself as an apostle of Christ by command of God, um, and then addressing Timothy in verse 2, um, as Timothy would maybe presumably share this letter with the church family there in Ephesus that adds a lot of credence to what Timothy would then be saying because they would understand that he's there because Paul has urged him to remain there. Right. It may very well be that those endless genealogies go back again to the Old, to the old Testament where um, the family that you were a part of uh, meant a great deal. Uh, certainly we see that even today. Um, you know, that, that some families are revered above other families just by virtue of their name or their association with someone uh, within their extended family um, who may be of prominence. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think the primary thing that I would say, and, and, and jump in here anytime, but I think the primary thing that I would say with this is that uh, the things that were being taught by those who would uh, pursue these myths and endless genealogies uh, were deviating from the focus of salvation 
in Jesus. Absolutely, yeah. And I don't think it's just, um, you know, when we study the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters of that book are very theological. The last half of the book, chapters four through six, are more practical in nature. It's obvious from reading the letter that, as you pointed out, with churches of Galatia, it's kind of a mixed bag. You have half Jew, half Gentile uh, making up this church. But I think another part of the false teaching is uh, the idea of having numerous gods getting more onto the Gentile side. You know that the Temple of Diana is there in Ephesus, one of the ancient wonders of the world. Um, mm. They had God for almost everything in Ephesus. And so the tendency for the church to drift back into the thinking of we need to have more than just one God, which, as you pointed out in First Timothy chapter 2, Paul will strongly say, Hey, Timothy, remind the people there's just one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. So <clears throat> there are several different possibilities for uh, the false teaching. To your point about endless genealogies, I think you're spot on with that. And that's just name-dropping is all that is. And we know genealogies for the Jewish people were very important. The Gospel of Matthew begins with a genealogy tracing Jesus' ancestry. Um and one writer I read today said what they would do is they would lie about who their family members were, to your point, to build more prominence with people. Um, you know, like today, if someone wants to run for political office, you hate to run against someone with the last name of Bush or Kennedy. You're probably going to lose yeah. just because of that last name. Um, so that was very much alive there. Keith, what are some of the the false doctrines that the church faces today obviously we don't have time to deal with every one of them uh, but in 2022 what are kind of some of the buzzword false doctrines you think you know i think uh issues with worship style is very much um you know uh, a, a difficulty we face today mm-hmm. but but maybe uh, maybe more at the root of even that would be the individualism that our world uh, society promotes that has um, crept into the church. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is just, you know, individualism is is um, basically where the rights and power go to the individual. Mm-hmm. So because I like it this way or because I prefer this type of worship, then that's what I'm going to pursue. Uh, and so, um, and not not just with worship, but really anything for that matter, uh, you can see very quickly how in a society that uh, celebrates individualism, though that's, uh, I, I do want to say that's not always a, a negative, um, but with regard to Christianity, uh, I think there are some challenges that we face um, when it comes to individualism, because everything becomes privatized mm-hmm. and so it's about what what i want it's about what i do or what i think and it might not be right for you but it's right for me yeah yeah uh and even you know i think i think even at that point uh religion um as a whole becomes very much a private thing and it, not something for the larger public so to speak yeah, the cousin to individualism is humanism. Same concept of I, I make myself my own God. Um, what I want goes. I'm the ultimate authority. The buck stops with me. Certainly a false doctrine. Um, disagreements over the sanctity of marriage. 
um, God's plan for marriage. It's certainly one that we're dealing with in churches today, not just within churches of Christ, but uh, in the greater denominational world. <laughs> you know, the Methodist Church is splitting over this issue. They have been for several years about uh, will we ordain um, church leaders in the Methodist Church that approve of or even practice homosexuality. So that is right. certainly a false doctrine. Uh, and the list goes on and on and on, but it's amazing how, regardless of issue, it, it comes back to the same origination. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Humanism, individualism, what I want goes, regardless of what God thinks about it or who it hurts, I want my way. Yeah. Uh, he, he warns Timothy in verse 4, and I love this terminology because it sounds like a father talking to his son, and he really is a spiritual father to Timothy. But he says, hey, if you devote your time to these myths, endless genealogies, or name-dropping, maybe a better way to understand that, all this is going to do is just promote controversy. You're not going to focus on God's work. You're just going to stir up controversy. Keith, when do we know today that preachers are focusing more on just stirring up controversies than fulfilling God's work? You know, there's, I think there's a, an, an attitude, um, and, and we see it on both ends of the spectrum. And I know we, we use words like conservative and liberal or progressive um, and traditional. Um, there's, you know, there's issues on, on both sides of, of this type of um, thinking and teaching. Um, I, I would say very simply that when someone loses their focus of Jesus Christ and him crucified and begins um, binding or unbinding things that either have not been bound or have um, or have been bound uh, I think that's the moment at which you know we we enter into that um, that trap of promoting something that God has not called us to promote mm-hmm. I'm trying to say that very delicately but I, I, I do think there's an attitude um, that that is evident in the lives of those that would uh, push their own agenda uh, rather than, as as Paul would say, um, you know, no to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now right. we understand there there are uh, a, a vast number of teachings in Scripture that that guide us and shape us, and from those, then we have to discern, you know, um, you know whether whether it's right or wrong in the sight of God to do X. Um, but I think. From a from an attitude perspective of promoting salvation, um, the 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 very thing we have to make sure we're focused on is Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the gospel, and uh, and you know in, in First Corinthians fifteen, the first four verses there, Paul defines the gospel for us uh, when he says that Jesus died, um, he was buried on the third day, he raised he was raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. And all of that is in accordance with Scripture. Um, and so I think when we lose our focus and lose our understanding of the need to 
proclaim the gospel, when we start um, clinging to uh, those topics or those issues that we believe um, are a part of our personal agenda, I think that's the moment at which we enter into that um, that trap. Yeah, I'd agree with you, and I think sometimes a real easy hint or indicator that's taking place is when you hear more about the individual and this new idea that they are promoting more than uh, what this idea should promote, and that's Jesus. When mm-hmm. Jesus' name or mentioning gets pushed to the side and you hear more of the individuals, they're certainly in the middle of a controversy. Um, and people usually, often, maybe usually is too strong, people often tell you what they think about something by voting with their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, if a church is just theoretical numbers here, I'm not speaking of any church or thinking of any church specifically, but if a church is 500 and then one day makes a change and uh, the church is 200, there's a pretty good indication that they've stirred up a controversy and they have not furthered God's work. Now, some people will, will counter that by saying, well, yeah, but sometimes um, addition takes place through subtraction, which which is true. There, mm-hmm. there can be a um, pruning, for lack of a better word, but not in half or 60%. Mm-hmm of losing your church that that seems a little extreme and so that's a that's a pretty good indicator that some controversies have been stirred uh keith jump down to verse verse seven paul says these people want to be teachers but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm which i think is kind of a humorous slap uh, a loving slap inspired by the holy spirit but a slap nonetheless um how how do we how do we avoid being teachers who don't know what we're talking about? Because that option is always on the table. So how how do we avoid that pitfall? You know, I mean, we have to as teachers, as preachers um, within the kingdom, we have to make sure that we're putting in the time, studying, um, researching grasping the background understanding why this um letter not just you know the pastoral epistles but why whatever text that we're we're studying from or teaching or planning to teach why it was written you know what, what was the purpose of it what was you know what was the author thinking well, you know, we have to make sure that we're um we're digging deep into the word and that that we actually have something to say mm-hmm. if we're going to stand up and teach mm-hmm. You know, I, I know uh, that some have, um, you know, have have sought to to teach a class, and maybe they they're gung ho at the beginning, you know, and they really study, and the first few lessons are really great, and then you can kind of almost see a a waning uh, of of their preparedness, and um, and and then uh, one of the one of the things that I've um, never really appreciated is when someone is asked a question in an open class and and they begin to try to answer and you you can clearly tell they have no idea uh what they're saying they're just trying to supply uh, an answer they're just talking you know mm-hmm. and and it may or may not be a, an appropriate response um 
but you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan and I try as hard as I can if, if ever asked a question to say, and I don't know the answer, just to simply say, you know, I'm not sure about that, you know, but I, I appreciate your question. I'd love to study on that more and, and get back with you. And I think that does a couple of things. Um, one, it, it shows that, you know, we're honest and I'm not going to be intellectually dishonest. Um, but, but I understand, you know, the importance of giving a, a good biblical response to a question, not just trying to make something up that sounds good in the moment. Uh, and two, I think it, it, it lends itself to uh, an increased credibility among the students within the class hmm. because they know then that you're not, you know, you're not just going to shoot from the hip, but you're going to take the time that is required to dig deep into the text or into whatever subject that you're presenting. Yeah, man, there's so much good stuff there. I uh, really appreciate what you're saying. Paul is, to be clear for those listening, Paul is not saying you have to be an expert. What Paul's saying is don't pretend to have the answer when you don't know what you're talking about. And I've always had that same attitude in, in my teaching. It, it's it, it gains you a lot of respect with the people to admit you don't know, then to keep speaking and prove yourself to be a fool. And for things that you can know, that's why Paul will tell Timothy, study to show yourself approved. Workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who uh, correctly handles the word of truth. It doesn't mean you have to have a doctorate. It doesn't mean you have to have a master's. Uh, Saul here is a scholar. Peter was an unschooled fisherman, um, but they both served a purpose. <laughs> Makes me think about um, this is just a few weeks ago. I may have told you this story, Keith, but I was playing golf, and you're, you're a golfer, you're a preacher, you know what happens. People usually start using foul language, and about hole seven or eight, they ask you what you do for a living, and you tell them, and then they suddenly become so spiritual. You know, They love to quote you their favorite Bible verse, and this guy said, so, so you're, he called me pastor. I was like, well, I know what you mean. Yes, actually, I'm a preacher, but yeah, yeah, sure, I'm a church leader. And he said, and your name's Jacob? And you're a pastor? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, I bet you've often been asked, how did you like your coat of colors, coat of many colors? He's like, I bet you've heard that a thousand times before. And I was like, no. He said, you've never heard that? I was like, no, because that's Joseph, not Jacob. He's like, oh, well, common mistake. It, uh, to borrow uh, Paul's terminology, you clearly don't know what you're talking about, do you? Um, yeah. Don't pretend to have an answer when you don't have an answer. Now, before we uh, leave each other hopeless here, um, how can we be confident when we get up to teach that we do know what we're talking about? You know, I think that comes back to the uh, being prepared, um, making sure that we've done our research, um, and I think too one of the one of the ways that we can have confidence is that if we are uh, proclaiming Scripture, if we are uh, teaching, you know what God has preserved, um, then we can we can confidently stand on the truths that we find in the Bible, uh, and so we can know um, if if we're not, you know, just kind of offering our own opinion about something, if we're offering, you know, the very things that God has uh, preserved for us. That ought to give us a lot of confidence. And I think, mm-hmm. again, uh, the preparedness, understanding that we uh, have done our research, we know the background, you know, that ought to give us a lot of confidence with regard to what we teach. 
Right. Absolutely. And this is, I think we kind of hinted at this last question. This is not a, hey, nobody should do this because we need preachers. We need teachers. I know what James says in James 3, one. Not many of you should presume to be teachers because we who teach are going to be judged more strictly. But James does not say that everyone should avoid it. We have to have teachers. And, uh, you know, Paul even indicates in Romans 10 that without preachers, without teachers, people aren't going to hear the gospel. Faith Mm -hmm. comes by hearing, hearing comes by the word. And he asks the question, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So uh, we still need people to get up and speak and be confident that they can know what they're talking about. Uh, The gospel is a story that everyone can understand. And when you uh, come across things that you are unsure about, don't speak with certainty. Ask help. Seek advice. <laughs> Dan Winkler, great scholar and teacher and preacher, once said at a retreat, you may have been there for one of the better conferences, Keith, but he said, I know a lot of preachers who like to wade out into the deep waters, and once they get out there, all they do is just blow bubbles. Yeah. Uh, and watching him say that really brought that to life, but he's right. A lot of people yeah. want to act like they are experts on an issue and... It becomes very evident very quickly they're just out there blowing bubbles. They don't belong in the deep water. Um, so know your limits. Anything else you want to add on that? No, I, I just think that there are, you know, there are a lot of times where um, we get caught up in uh, how uh, how we feel when people um, – give us accolades or they come up and they say, man, that was so good, you know, and if, especially like for preachers and, and even uh, regular uh, Bible class teachers, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a very easy thing for us to start thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And I think when we get into that position, Mm -hmm. that's when, that's when we're in danger of falling into this trap that Paul is urging Timothy to instruct the people there, don't, don't do these things. Make right. sure that the things that you are teaching that you understand and, and that you are confident in um, and not, you know, not promoting controversy. But again, that all comes back to um, you know, the way that we feel about ourselves, that individualism that sometimes creeps in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oz Guinness um, made the statement. He said that either you know, we... Uh, we seek to conform our desires to the truth, which leads to conviction, or we may seek to conform the truth to our desires, which mm-hmm. leads to evasion. And I, I think the call for us and the call for Timothy from Paul is make sure that, that you are remaining firm, mm-hmm. make sure that, that you are not promoting things that are going to cause people to fall away from um, from God's truth, make sure that you are uh, clinging to those truths that God has preserved and proclaiming them and not searching after or, um, or seeking out your, your, uh, you know, your own accolades or um, something that you feel that people are going to look at and say, wow, you know, look, at, look at Timothy, look how great he is. Um, but at the same time, I think there is uh, the call for us to uh, as we face, you know, situations or as we face um, 
issues within the church as we see those um, false doctrines being proclaimed, I think there is a call for us to stand firm and, and mm-hmm. to make sure that, that we are um, discerning and and not just simply you know following uh, the lead of those who have a loud voice. Right. Um, we're, we're all called, just like Timothy, to, to stand up. Even though it may be uncomfortable at times, um, we're called to stand firm. Uh, and that confidence um, that I think we can have carries us through. We, when we are proclaiming the Word of God, um, that ought to sustain us, strengthen us, and carry us through as we even stand in the face of um, false teaching that we see around us. Right. Yeah. So well said, Keith. So much wisdom there. Appreciate you so much, and uh, you and Lindsay and your ministry there at Louisville and your ministry in Arkansas. You miss Arkansas? Uh, we miss uh, the church family. We miss our, our friends and family. Uh, yeah. But, but we love this church family. Um, such a wonderful church family here at Louisville and um, some great leaders mm-hmm. in this church. Yeah, you, you played a lot better golf when you lived in Arkansas, didn't you? Yeah. I played a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a little bit better looking too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't that. No, yeah, yeah. Texas looks good on you, Keith. Well, thank you. Texas I'm looks good on you, and we are glad that you are living in the greatest city in the world now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dallas, Texas. Okay, well, we are glad that you joined us today. Keith and I will be talking about the pastoral epistles for, oh, I don't know, several, several more weeks. We'll see if we can work real hard to make this last as long as a Jeff Jenkins series, which is hard to do. Some of his series went four or five years, I think. Um, but we'll try to we'll try to shorten ours a little bit. Keith, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. As always, we invite you to keep your eyes on heaven. And if we can ever help you navigate your journey here at Road Talk, please let us know how we can help you, how we can pray for you. You can email me anytime at Jacob at PressonCrest.org. Have a great day. Take good care. And I look forward to talking with you next time.